Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, Merry Christmas, Jubilee Church. I hope you're... Thank you. I hope you're getting your presents all figured out and plans all organized. Those of us who are here, those of us following us along online, so glad that you're here. You don't need me to tell you this, but a lot of us are tired. It's a common experience this time of year. You know, you run into a friend, you run into a coworker, a cousin, an in-law, whoever, and the conversation around how are you doing, it won't take long before somebody says, I'm tired. Um, what are we tired of? Well, we're tired of the grind. We're tired of the expectations. We're tired of the hustle. Am I good enough? Will I be included? Am I accepted? You know, it's, if you probably, your work's going through review season. You're thinking about this at work, thinking about this at home. You know, am I posting the right stuff on social media? Is my Christmas card good enough? Do I, should I do a Christmas, do you do a Christmas card? No, we don't either. I, if, exactly. You have all this time to go to a park with your family and take a picture. God bless you. Um, it's a lot. We're tired, trying to handle, especially as we are glued to our smartphone and this information boom. It's a lot to consider what's happening in the nations of our world as we are choosing our favorite cereal at the local supermarket. We are exhausted. Well, I've got great news for you because the gospel is a message for the weary. Jesus declared in Matthew 11 quite famously, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you ah, rest. I want to talk about rest today. Um, I'm not excluded from this. In fact, if there's a message that I need to hear, it's this one. Uh, I'm trying to be a pastor, I'm trying to achieve, I'm trying to make progress, trapped by my own expectations, trapped by my expectations of others. I've lost days over this. I've robbed myself of joy. I've robbed my family of my attention, my presence. I mean, if you've ever had one of those days of just one more person said they were disappointed in you, you were like a pop balloon. It's left on the sidewalk after a big party. There's nothing like a pop balloon to ruin a party, which is kind of a great metaphor, living based upon uh, your performance. A pop balloon, once full of air, once full of life, once full of joy, now lifeless piece of wet rubber on the sidewalk. The air has gone out of me. What do I do? Well, let's talk about rest. Um, like I said, many of us find ourselves in this culture, the, the most workaholic culture in history, and there's a couple of reasons. Everybody's got reasons for this, by the way. There are two reasons that you'll hear a lot just kind of by sociologists or people who think about these kinds of things. One is, I kind of already said, this technology, right? Like, uh, we're, we're, our work has never been more accessible to us. We can work, you're work, some of you are working right now. Look at me, okay, you're working, stop working. Um, there's no escape from our work. Uh, technologies also mean our world has shrunk. The people you sell products to, people all over the world are selling those products. And 
They're doing it 24-7. So technology, there's all sorts of things that have made work much more domineering and, and dominant. But there's a, a cultural explanation. Um, you know, in traditional societies, you know, in Eastern cultures primarily, or maybe our culture in, in the past, a long, 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 long time ago, is that you used to get your value from family uh, or your community. In other words, you got your identity from being a father, a, a mother, a son, a daughter, husband, wife, neighbor, citizen. You got your identity from your community. However, we live in a culture that is the most individualistic in history. So on one side, we freed people from assigned social roles so that we can be who we want to be. But what the flip side of that means is that means that now your value and identity is something that you must earn. You have to achieve it. And we get value and identity out of individual achievement. And it, it is exhausting us. And we do the dumbest, we tell kids like, no one, you know, you, you tell yourself who you are. I mean, talk about an exercise in exhaustion and burnout and depression. Oh, wait, those numbers are going up, aren't they? You have to get out there and do it. That means our relationship to our work has completely changed. At one time, um, you know, we, we actually, our work used to be ways that we'd help get our family ahead. And now it's, it's all reversing to where now we use family to get ourselves ahead. We've, we've reversed it. Uh, family used to, used to, through individual help, effort, you'd help your family. Now we use our family to help our individual achievement. It's affecting how we parent big time. So like, man, we bring our kids to specialists to make sure that they're maximizing their individual output and their motor skills and their, and their mental development and coordination and, and capacity and, and, and measuring results and achievement and grades, awards and brand name colleges. I've got to achieve. I've got to make myself some, something. And this scrambling to get this advantage is almost certainly causing us to overparent. And overparenting is very similar to overworking. And it's harder to opt out than you think. We now use our children to jockey for our individual status. Everything is reversed. It used to be I worked hard, like I said, to get our family ahead. Now I use my family to get me ahead. That's why we are the weariest society ever. Overworked society. And even when we try to stop working, lay it down for a day, take a vacation, take a day off, there's this voice inside of us that whispers, you're getting behind. You're getting behind. So what do we do? What is rest? Well, in this passage that was read to us from Ephesians, sorry, Hebrews 4, uh, it's very layered. This word rest is very layered. In fact, the author uses it probably at least in three different ways. We'll talk about a couple. Uh, one is what you think, physical, emotional rest. And that's what, when, when it speaks of going into the promised land, that's speaking of, of, of physical, emotional, social rest, you might even say. Um, is Hebrews 4 is, is quoting Psalm 95, which again is talking about their journey from, from Egypt to the promised land. And he's warning them, he's warning them that they're never going to enter this rest if they don't believe what he's saying. And so this place Canaan, Canaan, the promised land, was a place 
of rest is because the children of Israel were slaves and they were brought out of Egypt when they were under their taskmasters, where they were being worked into the ground. And, and God says in Deuteronomy uh, 15, something very illuminating when he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That sounds like a song, doesn't it? Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you, because it is a song, to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, God's commanded you, right? Ten commandments, you guys remember those? Ten commandments? One of them is to rest, to take the Sabbath, which is right there within the list of lying and, and stealing and, and killing. In other words, a society that promotes a lack of rest is just as destructive as a society that promotes lying and stealing and killing kind of a big deal. God says that when you rest, it's a declaration of your freedom. Anyone who overworks is a slave. When you rest, you put your work down. You're saying, I'm not a part of the machine. I'm not a slave to materialism. I am not a slave to the identity system of my society. Rather, I'm declaring my identity in God. I am not a slave. So when you rest, when you truly rest, it is a revolutionary act an act of rebellion against the rebellion. And by bringing the children of Israel out of slavery to outside the social and wealth system of Egypt into a land where they could rest, where they could put limits around their work. So one of the, re one of the ways that we understand rest in the physical, the emotional, is that rest is a de declaration of our freedom in Christ. Now, the second way the word is used, it refers back to God's rest from his work in the beginning of time. And this is a little bit different. In fact, it says if, if there wasn't something greater than Joshua didn't even get the rest. So Joshua made it to the promised land, by the way, got the physical and emotional rest, but there was something greater than that that even Joshua didn't get. And it talks about the kind of rest that God had when he created the world, that, that God, we know that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, what does it mean that God rested? Well, it doesn't mean that he got tired, right? God doesn't get weary. He doesn't get physically weary. He doesn't get emotionally weary, right? Um, now, you and I can't even swing a hammer for a few minutes without getting uh, without having to stop to rest so that we, we have to physically rest so that we can keep going. But that's not the way God works. He doesn't get physically tired. He doesn't get emotionally tired. He doesn't need a vacation. So this word rest is bigger than just, I take a nap. It's bigger than just, you need to make sure you schedule your vacation. Something's going on here that's bigger. Need something Deeper. So what does it mean when it says that God rested from his work? When it says God rested, what it means is that he was satisfied with what he was doing. He said it was good. He said it was finished. He was able to lay it down because he was pleased with what he was doing. He was satisfied with what he was doing. That is what it means to truly rest. To truly lay something down means to, is to say it is complete I am satisfied it is done. Just as you and I need deep sleep at night, we need REM sleep, which I didn't get last night, by the way. This is all caffeine. <laughs> the irony, 
physical, emotional rest is not all you need. You need something deeper. There's no amount of vacations that can cure the kind of restlessness that we're talking about here. And it's quite an ordeal because it, it's, the, the Hebrews here starts to speak of spiritual nakedness that we were in the garden, we were, we were naked and unashamed. But what was the first thing that we did when we sinned? We immediately began to hide. We covered up our nakedness. They experienced it and we do too, a sense of not being right, a sense of not being acceptable, a deep feeling of spiritual nakedness. So they hid from God and they hid from each other. Unless you realize that type of experience of spiritual nakedness, that you're not okay, that I have this feeling that I need to do something to prove that I'm okay, you won't understand your drivenness and your restlessness. It has to be revealed to you. You have to see it. Now, the scapegoats are everywhere. I mean, everybody has a complex and the society hasn't treated us right. And there's all kinds of, we have more reasons now why things are wrong and we aren't the way we're supposed to be and they're not the way they're supposed to be. We have reason upon reason upon reason upon reason upon reason. And we're even more tired and restless. We can't get there. In fact, the people who talk about the explanations for why we are the way, they'll even end their books with, I'm exhausted. Okay, so we're supposed to learn from you? It's not out there. It's, it's not outside of us. It's inside. It's why some of you cannot imagine marrying somebody who's not really good looking. It's why you can't imagine not being really good looking. It's why some of you are working and working and working. It's some of why you are parenting and parenting and parenting. You can't imagine your child not doing that. You can't imagine that kind of life. You can't, that's why you're, some of you are perfectionists. What is that? It's fig leaves. You see that? You see that work is something you're using to cover up something deeper for whoever has entered, this is good news, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You and I are image bearers that when he made day, okay, so there was night and then there was morning, that was the first day, and then there was night and then there was morning, that's the second day. God made you to rest and then work, not work. So you go, I mean, I'm just, I'm working this plan. I got, got 30 years and then I, could, then I could take it easy. Working for the weekend. If I could just get this stuff done, then I can get there. Is there something wrong with work? Of course not. There's something actually more wrong with not working. The reason is, or excuse me, the, the issue is why are we working? Is it self-justifying work? Are we working for self-justifying reason? The reason why we work is to get a sense that I'm all right, that I'm good, I'm accepted, I'm worth something. That's self-justifying work and it will destroy you because you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be able to lay it down. Even when you're working, or excuse me, even when you're resting, you'll be 
um, weary. You get angry. You get angry. Probably at your spouse. I don't know why I get angry. Just something bother me. You, know, you don't even know what it is. Well, maybe after today you will. Even, even your unselfishness is selfishness. Even like the things that you do to help people really aren't to help people. You, sometimes you can do things wrong but mean well, but more often than not, you can do right things and mean wrong. You may not be aware of it, but it's driving you and driving you and driving you and driving you. Um, Chariots of Fire. Anybody remember that movie? It's it's that time of year to watch old movies, isn't it? Chariots of Fire. Harold Abrams, one of the actors. It's about running, by the way, if you have never seen it. That's important for this next illustration. Harold Abrams. One guy says this, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Some of us are living that way. You may not even be aware that you're living that way, but you're living that way. It's why you work. It's why you parent. It's why you... Here's another way. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. One runs to be sure of who he is. Another runs because he knows who he is. One is always weary, even when he's resting. And another man is always resting, even when he's working. Which one do you want to be? It's only one way. It's only one way. How do you get there? Well, Hebrews 4, uh, 12 through 13 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Man, I'd love to talk more about that. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Talking about our spiritual nakedness. And this word exposed is a failure of the translation from Greek to English. Believe it or not, the NIV gets a little bit closer, for those who geek out about translation, the NIV gets a little bit closer than the ESV when it says laid bare. But the real translation of the word exposed in verse 13 literally means to stretch the neck back so you can cut it and kill it. That's a little different. Yeah, it shocked me too. Um, And because verse 12 has the image of a sword, that's definitely what the author had in mind. Uh, It's a word that's commonly used when they described how an animal was sacrificed in a temple. They laid them bare. They stretched their neck back to cut it and to kill it. What is that saying? Well, Francis Schaeffer, all my illustrations are old today. Francis Schaeffer, he, he famously said, have you ever heard the illustration he gave about a tape recorder around your neck? Anybody here? Good. Just one? Good. Okay. 
I'm glad, this, this helps that you haven't heard this. this. This means I can add value to your life because I'm restless and I need to feel important. And so we, so he said, gave this illustration about he had a tape recorder. He says, you can imagine if you had a tape recorder around your neck and it only recorded when you said you ought. It's all it ever recorded. Anytime you said you ought, I ought, we ought, they ought, anytime. It, so in other words, it only recorded every time you made a statement about the way human behavior should be. That's all it did. Now imagine you go to heaven on judgment day and God's in a really good mood. And he, he's always in a good mood. But he's, he's, he's like, hey, you know what? We're not, I'm not gonna judge you based upon my standard. I'm just going to judge you based upon your own standard. So let's get out that tape recorder and hear how you think people ought to live. He says, nobody passes that test, much less the standard of God. No one passes that test. We are all, and, and in fact, and if, and if you look at the injustice of the world, I mean, everybody should at least hope there's a God of justice. I mean, how else do you make sense of the pain and suffering? You hope there's a God of justice. We are all then going to be exposed, laid back, laid bare and have our neck stretched back. That's what that verse is getting at. All of us have to give an account. All of us. And yet the very next verse, 14, says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Wait a minute. Verse 12 and 13 talk about being cut off, but verse 14 says that we have a merciful high priest. But that's the answer. The answer is there's going to be a sacrifice, but it's not going to be you and I because Jesus was the sacrifice. Because according to Isaiah, he was cut off from the land of the living, that he was radically stripped naked. And Jesus experienced cosmic restlessness, that he was utterly cut off from the eternal source of rest. He cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me, my God, my God. He was utterly cut off so that we could be brought in, that he was stripped naked so that we could be clothed with his righteousness. And when he died, when he died, he said, it is finished. What's finished? Our self-justifying work is finished, it's complete. And I love in, the, in Isaiah 53, it's all about the cross. He says the father looked upon him and was satisfied. And because the father is satisfied because of Jesus, that you and I can be satisfied. As we look not to ourselves and what we say to us, not when we look to our friends and what they say to us, but when we look to Jesus, that if we look to Jesus, we can see what he has done and we can be satisfied. It's absolutely amazing. Romans 8, 15 speaks of this and kind of maybe helps us here a little bit. It says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. And in context, what he means here is religious duty. You've not received the spirit of religious duty because if you do that, it says you'll fall back into fear. 
If you get in this thing that I've got to prove myself, if I fall back, the spirit of, of, of religious duty, of, of slavery, I fall back into fear that I'm not good enough, that I'm not going to be accepted. It's not from God. That's not the spirit he's given you. The spirit of religious duty pulls us into a place of fear. It is impossible to rest. What's the opposite of religious duty? I used to think delight, you know, two Ds, duty, delight. You know, you duty or you delight? What is it? Duty or delight? The opposite of duty, though, in this, in this passage is adoption. Acceptance. The opposite of falling into a mindset of religious duty and fear is a spirit of acceptance, of satisfaction, completeness, wholeness. You have a reserved seat at the table of God. You know, it's not like Southwest Airlines. You know, you get, you just find out where, you just find, you know, get, may end up in the middle of the seat, who knows. You have a reserved seat. I like a reserved seat, by the way. The opposite of religious duty is rest. Rest is the opposite of religious duty. Religious duty is the opposite of rest. Rest is the opposite of religious duty. So which one are you? The spirit of God that whispers to you acceptance. When you feel acceptance, that's not you, that's God. When you feel that I'm not good enough, that's not God, that's you. Which means, where are you gonna get this from? God. See, last week we talked about, hey, if you're feeling like, man, I just feel anxious, I feel anxious, you can, you can change that if you shift your devotion to Jesus. So we were talking about weariness and, and you, can, you, can, you can get rid of your weariness if you shift your attention. to. There's a theme here. His name is Jesus. Like when we're coming here today, I don't know what you're celebrating, but what we're, what we're trying to celebrate is not what we've done, what, that we're good people, we figured it out and yay for us and whatever. We're here to celebrate one person. He is the restorer of our souls. He is the hope for the generations. He is the hope for the world. And he's good news for the weary. The reason why the gospel of Jesus Christ is joy to the weary is because he did not come to show us the way. There are no three steps to accomplish. There are no prayers to pray. The good news is not performance-based. The good news isn't try harder, isn't be better, quit smoking, you know, stop, you know, attend church a little more often. Some of you are thinking that. Some of you are thinking like, man, I gotta work on that. I gotta work on my acceptance. No, you don't. There is none of that. You just believe it. There's no working on this. I mean, I'm glad that you quit smoking. That's probably better for you. Has nothing to do with your acceptance. I'm glad you're coming to church more often. Has nothing to do with your acceptance. You know what it has to do with? It has to do with warming your heart, warming up your life by the fire of the gospel. You see, in this world, you know, we're gonna, you know, like one day everything's gonna be amazing and perfect, but we don't live in that world. And so it's like, it's like a house. You ever be in a house where it, it, the only source of fire, or sorry, the only source of heat is the fire. 
So that means you can go in other parts of the house and you can get cold. And the way that you warm yourself up is you got to get back near the fire. You believe the gospel. If you're a Christian here this morning, you believe the gospel once spoke. Believe it again. That's why it says, so let's hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? Our confession is not about our performance. Our confession is about the performance of Jesus and what he has done. That's what we need to hold on to. So we come here every week celebrating. And it, it ignites us. I mean, you, you have that place of, I mean, you want to be like, wow, look what he's done for me. Produces enthusiasm. If you're, if you're coming here celebrating yourself, you're probably not all that excited about it. And I get it. Not celebrating, your, you're celebrating the performance of Jesus. It's amazing. So what defines you more? Are you focused on your performance, trying to be good enough? Are you embodying this idea of full acceptance, freedom, and rest? It's to believe. It's why it says, you know, did you find that odd? He strive to enter his rest. You find that odd? I found it odd. Strive to enter, strive to enter. I thought rest is not about striving. What he's communicating is the battle for you and I is to believe that it is finished, that it is complete, that he really did do it. And there's nothing, there's no work for you to do. Do whatever you have to do to keep yourself by the fire of the gospel. Don't ever stray away from the fire of the gospel. The fact that Jesus is the one who approves you. There's everything in your world that's telling you that you have to get it, that you have to do it. It's believing that he ha already has. Warm your heart up with that. Light your world up with that. It's not somewhere out in the future, it's today. Today, if you hear his voice. Now I'm getting into chapter three Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, repent, change. Of what? Of not believing that he has approved you. He's not approved you. It's not far away. It's not in some place far, far. It is today, if you'll believe it and trust it. Would you stand with me? There's no way that you can live this life of rest unless you are regularly coming to the fire of the gospel. It affects a lot. It affects, it's how we organize this. It's why community is such a big deal. 
to us. I mean, if you're not around people who are constantly saying you're accepted because of Jesus, you're accepted because of Jesus. It's tough. Organize your life around that source of fire. If you want rest, organize your life around that. Organize your relationships around that. Organize your days around that, your schedule, your ambitions. Jesus, we... We repent of trusting in ourselves. We repent of trying to get an identity outside of you. We repent of trying to get acceptance outside of you. We just, we admit that our souls are tired. We could see the tiredness. There's only one reason why we're, our souls are tired because we, our lives are removed from the fire of the gospel. That Jesus really has finished it. Jesus, you are satisfied. Father has looked upon you, he's satisfied. God, make us satisfied in you. We just wanna turn from that. God, we wanna believe. We want to believe. We want to believe that it's, it really is finished. God, I just pray, Lord, too, that you'd help us to organize our life around this fire. Lord, we may have to make big decisions. I just thought, I just thought this whole thing, you know, if I just go to church every once in a while and help out here and there, and that's enough to make me feel excited. No. Something had to be laid bare. Something had to be stretched back. The Lord took the iniquity of us all and laid it upon him. God, I want to run from anything that symbolizes getting what I deserve. Accomplishing my heart is make this your prayer. My heart has gotten cold, distant, robotic. Just want to get near the fire. Thank you for bearing our burden. You took it upon yourself. No one takes your life. You willingly laid it down. You took our burden and you gave us yours. Your burden is light. It's easy. It's been done. It's finished. Help us to believe that.